Jeremiah chapter 28. Jeremiah chapter 28. And the <clears throat> subject tonight is Hananiah's false prophecy. Hananiah's false prophecy. He was a false prophet. In this chapter, <clears throat> Hananiah represents the entire organization, if you will, or union or gathering of professional prophets. That is, they were men pleasers. And this story has been included here in chapter 28 to show us the disrespectful dissimilarity of the, the error of these men and to show that what they were doing was in the worst interest of the nation. Now, they might have been sincere, but nonetheless, they were sincerely wrong. And one of these false prophets, Hananiah, challenges the prophecy of Jeremiah, which we read and studied last week in chapter 27. And Hananiah claims, he's claiming now to give the true word of the Lord. So let's look at verse 1 now as we begin to see what's going on here. Verse 1, chapter 28, it says, And it happened in the same year, at the beginning of the reign of Zedekiah, king of Judah, in the fourth year and in the fifth month, that Hananiah, the son of Azur, the prophet who was from Gibeon, spoke to me, that is Jeremiah, in the house of the Lord, in the presence of the priests and all of the people, saying. It begins in the same year, verse 1, in the same year. That is the same year that the events of chapter 27 took place. And at the beginning of the reign of Zedekiah, it means in the beginning years of his reign, in the fourth reign, in the fourth year. Now, the events in chapter 27 and 28 seem to have taken place close to the same time. And it seems that Jeremiah was prophesying in the streets of Jerusalem for seven days. And remember, he was dramatizing his message by wearing this yoke. It was an action sermon. And while Jeremiah was wearing the yoke, which is a symbol of servitude, and he was calling nations to submit to Babylon, the judgment that was coming, which was the will of God. And while he was doing this, all of a sudden, Hannah, I'm sorry, Hananiah, one of the false prophets, he confronts Jeremiah, he confronts him in the temple, that is, in the house of the Lord. And Hananiah begins to speak in front of the priests and all of the people where Jeremiah was. Look at verses 2 through 4 now, and this is what... Hananiah has to say, beginning with verse 2, Thus speaks the Lord of hosts. So he's saying, this is what the Lord is saying. The God of Israel, saying, I have broken the yoke of the king of Babylon, and within two full years I will bring back to, the, to this place all the vessels of the Lord's house that King Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, took away from this place and carried to Babylon. And I will bring back to this place Jeconiah, the son of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, with all of the captives of Judah who went to Babylon, says the Lord, for I will break the yoke of the king of Babylon. So the prediction here that Hannah gives in the house of the Lord, in the name of the Lord, in the presence of the priests and all the people were probably expecting, they were probably expecting to have some message from heaven. In delivering this prophecy that Hananiah is giving here, he faced Jeremiah. And he delivered it to Jeremiah. But all along, 
Hananiah was scheming to confront and contradict Jeremiah, as if to be saying to Jeremiah, Jeremiah, you're a liar. What Hananiah is predicting is that the king of Babylon's power, at least his power over Judah and Jerusalem, was going to be quickly broken. That yoke, when he broke it, that was the picture, that that judgment over uh, Judah would be quickly broken. And within two full years, the vessels of the temple should be brought back. And Jeremiah and all the captives that were carried away with him, they should return. And even though Jeremiah had prophesied that the yoke of the king of Babylon should be fastened to them much stronger than that, and that the vessels and captives should not return for 70 years. So we see Hananiah just preaching the opposite of what Jeremiah had predicted in chapter 27. So this false prophet Hananiah is giving this prophecy that's a false prophecy that Jeremiah had been warning Judah about in the previous chapters. And so Jeremiah is saying, don't listen to the prophets that say these things. That, you know, that, that these things, these vessels will soon be coming back and these things will, be, things will be restored the way they were. He says, don't listen to them. So now here's Jeremiah still wearing this yoke. And this false prophet, Hananiah, makes one of these false prophecies right there in front of Jeremiah in the temple, in the house of the Lord. The very same kind of prophecy that Jeremiah was warning the people about. He says, hey, this is the kind of stuff I was warning you about. Telling them that they were lies. Jeremiah was saying, hey, he's lying. Don't trust them, these false prophets. Now Jeremiah comments on what Hananiah said. After Hananiah delivers this this bogus prophecy, and we compare it with the messages that God sent by the true prophets, we can see what a big difference there is between them. The thing that's particularly missing here is an attitude of godliness in Hananiah. Hananiah is speaking with a lot of self-confidence about their prosperity returning. But there's not one word from Hananiah, not one word of godly counsel giving to the people that he gives to the people to repent and to change their ways and, and to forsake their sin and return to God and to pray and to seek his face for the very reason that they might be prepared for God to turn their situation around. God does not bless sin. He punishes sin. And Hananiah here promises them worldly mercies, that is, earthly mercies in God's name. Things like Babylon's power over Judah is going to be broken. And in a couple of years, he says, the vessels of the temple, they're going to be brought back. And Jeremiah and the captives, they're going to return too. But Hananiah doesn't say anything about those spiritual mercies that God always promised that should go along with them. Like in chapter 24, verse 7, when it says, then I will give them, God says, I will give them a heart to know me, that I am the Lord and they shall be my people, and I will be their God, for they shall return to me with their whole heart. So again, Hananiah gives the people you know, worthly, uh, worldly mer- uh, mercies in God's name. And here, instead of giving them any uh, spiritual you know, uh, mercies in God's name. And by all of this, it appears that whatever uh, Hananiah fabricated, it only had the spirit of the world not the spirit of God and that he aimed to please them the people but not enrich the people 
Paul said in 1 Corinthians 2.12, and we have received God's spirit, not the world's spirit, so that we can know the wonderful things that God has freely given us. So Hananiah is giving them a worldly spirit in what he's saying, and Jeremiah a, a, a spiritual spirit in what he's telling them. Look at verses 5 and 6 now. Then the prophet Jeremiah spoke to the prophet Hananiah in the presence of the priests and in the presence of all the people who stood in the house of the Lord. And the prophet Jeremiah said, Amen. The Lord do so. The Lord perform your words which you have prophesied to bring back the vessels of the Lord's house and all who were carried away captive from Babylon to this place. So now Jeremiah you know, he's, Jeremiah, Hananiah has given this message. It's a false message. Jeremiah has listened. And now Jeremiah answers Hananiah in the presence of the priests and all the people who had come into the house of the Lord. And Jeremiah's response to Hananiah's message was, Amen, brother. So be it. May the Lord do. May he fulfill everything that you have promised. Man, that would be, that would be great. I hope he does. Now, Jeremiah isn't actually agreeing with everything that Hananiah said. Because, you see, Jeremiah knew better. Jeremiah knew the proof. He had the word of God. He had God's word. So Jeremiah, in his response, is basically saying, Oh, Hananiah, I sure wish the Lord would do just what you have said. This would, this would make me very happy. But Jeremiah knew that Hananiah's prophecy about peace, it wasn't going to happen. It wouldn't be fulfilled. And here's why. Because if it was fulfilled, this would contradict what all of the true prophets had predicted who had come before them. Because they prophesied judgment. Hananiah was prophesying the opposite. Jeremiah, with all of his heart, wishes that what Hananiah said would turn out to be true. Because Jeremiah has such a love for his country and a great love for his people. So Jeremiah really is wanting what's best for the country and the people. Jeremiah even wept for his fellow man. But again, there's always been the false prophets as well as the true. During the Old Testament times, we read over and over again about the false prophets. In the book of the law... They were told how to tell the difference between false prophets and judgment and the punishment that should come to false prophets. During the times of Jesus, Jesus warned against false prophets. And most likely in the New Testament letters, the apostles warned over and over about the false prophets that were around and that would rise up. Jesus said in Mark 13, 22, false Christs and false prophets will arise and show signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the very elect. So Jesus was warning, watch out. He says, I have warned you about this ahead of time. And they named, they named some of the false prophets that were going around spreading their lies. Now, a false prophet doesn't wear a sign that says, hey, I'm a false prophet. They're not, they're not always quickly and easily you know, found out who they are. A lot, but a lot of what a false prophet says is true. Because, you see, they have to mingle a little bit of the truth with the false. That's what hooks the people. If a false prophet didn't give any truth, then no one would listen to him. But many times there's just enough truth to get your attention. 
to catch your ear if you listen long enough. And again, that is the importance of knowing Scripture. And I remember in my early days as a Christian, I was watching a lot of these, these shows that, that I thought were Christian. You know, pastor so-and-so, pastor so-and-so, and, and, you know, they were preaching, and, and you know, and, and, and I was just listening because I was anxious to learn. And one day, you know, I was listening to this, this preacher preach, and, you know, and, and I had been listening to him before. But all along, he had been, you know, from what I knew, it sounded good. And, and this one night, he said that, uh, you know, he was talking about how he flew here and he flew there in the ministry, and he did a lot of flying. And he says, you know, he says, he says so many people are afraid of flying. They're, they're, you know, he, says, he says, I'm not afraid of flying because... I'm not worried about dying. He says, because I'm going to die when I want to die. And boy, that struck me as not. A red flag went up right away. It did not sit with me. And that was the Holy Spirit, you know, warning me. I, I didn't understand, you know, what, but it just didn't sit right. And so I, I didn't listen to him anymore after that and found out later on as I grew in the Lord and read and, and, and heard from other folks that, that he was one of those name it and claim it. Don't say it. It's going to happen. Claim it. You're going to get it. So, you know, and, and, but if you don't know the word and you're not growing in the Lord, these guys, oh, that's cool. I don't you know, guy can say I'm not going to die. And, I'm, and hey, be careful. You know, so again, they're out there and they, they give you just enough truth to hook you and, and to, to get you to be, you know, part of their ministry or part of their church or whatever it is. But you have to get to the heart of the matter. You really have to find out what they're all about. That is, what do they truly believe about God? And in 1 John chapter 4, verse 1, John said, Do not believe everyone who claims to speak by the Spirit. You must test the Spirit to see if the Spirit they have that they have comes from God because there are many false prophets in the world. So you got to find out what's the bottom line. What is it? What is their statement concerning Jesus Christ? What do they truly believe about Jesus Christ? Is he God who came in the flesh? And if that's the bottom line, or not their bottom line, then they're false prophets. John said in 1 John 4, 2 through 4, he said, by this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is the spirit of Antichrist, which you have heard was coming and is now already in the world. Now, these false prophets, they might sound good. They might do a lot of good things, say a lot of good things. They might have a lot of good points. But you know what? Watch out. Watch out. You always have to look at the heart of the issue and doctrinally as a general rule. It has to do with the nature of Jesus Christ and the deity of Jesus Christ. Now, in the early church, before the scriptures were fully established, before they had the canon of scriptures and all of Paul's and James and John's writings and letters, they had, they, they had sent out kind of like an instruction manual, and it was called the Didache. Now, the Didache was a writing of the early church, and it was probably used as an instruction manual to train new believers in Christianity in doctrine and discipline before they were baptized. Because there were 
like there are today, there are con artists, there are phonies that were going around visiting the churches, ripping off cities and the people. So they would send, they, they sent out this instruction manual to help discern whether or not one was a true prophet. And interestingly enough, the heart of the matter was, was this. This is how they would determine. If this, if this person was asking for money for himself, or he was seeking support from himself, for himself, he was a false prophet. And he wasn't to be listened to. The Didache contains several important sections, including uh, a discussion of the two ways, the ways of life and the ways of death. Remember in the Old Testament, Jesus said, choose life or death. I mean, choose life over death. You know, there were directions for worship. There were instructions concerning uh, church officers and the behavior of, of congregational matters. There was a sex, section on the end times. So the Didache is important because it gave insights into the church life during that early period of Christian history. So again, this instruction manual was the teachings of the apostles, warning the new churches about these wandering groups of, of false prophets who would come into a church and they come in with all kinds of this, you know, hyper-spirituality and, and were prophets and they were prof, prof, uh, prophesying to people. They were laying hands on people. They were doing all kinds of these things. And this Didache said, again, here was some of the instructions. It says, if a guy comes to you, if one of these prophets comes to you, and, and again, you don't know whether he's true or false, but here was the test. If they come and they say, thus says the Lord, make me a seven-course meal, you know, roast beef, leg of lamb, all the trimmings. That, of course, it's to feed the poor. Now, go prepare it, thus says the Lord. If he says, and the guy eats the meal himself, he was a false prophet. If he was just giving you the menu that he wanted to eat, he was a false prophet. Also, if he stayed for three days living off of what the people provided for him. In other words, somebody offered to keep, help, help him to stay, you know, for, and he would stay for three days and they'd take care of him, they'd feed him and they'd put him up for the, for the days. Uh, they were just showing hospitality. But after three days, if he's still hanging around, then he's a false prophet. And then tell him to hit the road. So the idea was this. If they're taking advantage of the people for a financial, uh, from a financial standpoint, or they were trying to do that, they're false prophets. So the early church labeled these guys as false prophets. Hananiah was a false prophet. Because what he was saying was what the people wanted to hear. And false prophets usually say the things that are very pleasant to the ear. Usually there, there are great promises of power and anointing and the moving of God. Hey, and, and people want to hear that. You know, we want to see the power of God manifested. We love to see the wonderful works of God. And we'd love to see, we love to see people coming to Jesus. We love to see, we'd love to see a great revival. You know, we want to see these things. We long to see these kinds of things. And when somebody comes in, in the name of the Lord, and starts to prophesy these things, you know, it's exciting. But when the heart of the matter is this, and now if you'll just send in your offering, God will bless you. And you'll see these things come to pass. Give your faith offerings, and God will multiply it, then watch out. So Hananiah was telling the people exactly what they wanted to hear. They wanted to hear what Hananiah was telling them. And he was telling them, hey, our problems are almost over, you guys. You know what? We, we, 
We don't have to change our lives. We don't have to repent. We don't have to turn from our sin. We're okay just the way we are. We don't have to clean up our lives. No, we can go on in our carnal pleasures. And we can go on in our same routines of evil. We don't have to change. So Hananiah was giving the people comfort, but at the same time, he's encouraging them in their sin. God never intended to comfort anyone in their sin. Jesus said in John 16, 8, and when he comes, he will convict the world of its sin and of God's righteousness and of the coming judgment. Sin should always be an uncomfortable place to be in. Woe to those who comfort men and encourage men who are a sin. And that's exactly what Hananiah was doing. Verses 7 through 9. Nevertheless, hear now this word that I speak in your hearing and the hearing of all the people. The prophets who have been before me and before you of old prophesied against many countries and great kingdoms of war and disaster and pestilence. As for the prophet who prophesies of peace, when the word of the prophet comes to pass, the prophet will be known as one whom the Lord has truly sent. Hananiah's message of peace and prosperity was contrary to the long tradition of the true Hebrew prophets like Amos and Hosea. Micah, Joel, and Nahum, they all spoke words of judgment and destruction against many countries and kingdoms like Assyria and Egypt. Peace in this context here refers to the well-being and the wholeness that results from God's restoration of the nation. Now look again at the the end of verse 9. It says, when the word of the prophet comes to pass, the prophet will be known as one whom the Lord has truly sent. In other words, in the early days, if the prophecy came to pass, then he was a true prophet. If the prophecy didn't come to pass, then he wasn't a true prophet. But if the prophecies did come to pass, and then they teach you and say, well, you know what, now you should worship this other God, then they were false prophets, and they were to be put to death. Again, you have to always watch for and get to the heart of the issue that is what they truly believe. So Jeremiah says, if we see the peace in two years, then we'll know, Hananiah, if you're a true prophet of God. So Jeremiah made it it very clear that Hananiah was not a prophet of God and that he was lying to the people. Verses 10 and 11. Then Hananiah the prophet took the yoke off of the prophet Jeremiah's neck and broke it. And Hananiah uh, spoke in the presence of all the people, saying, Thus says the Lord... Even so, I will break the yoke of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, from the neck of all nations within the space of two full years. And the prophet Jeremiah went his way. Hananiah was feeling pretty sure of himself. He was pretty confident because of Jeremiah's meekness. Sometimes people mistake the meekness of God for weakness. Hananiah actually took the wooden yoke off of Jeremiah's neck and he broke it. And he was saying symbolically, just as, the, as this yoke has been broken, within two years, I'm going to break, God's going to break the yoke of oppression from all the nations and now uh, that are subject to King Babylon or King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon. Hannah was making an undeniable statement when he said this. 
Not only would Judah be set free, he was saying, but, all, but also all nations would remove the yoke of Babylon. They'd no longer be under the, the, the servitude of Babylon. But there's a problem here. This contradicted the message that Jeremiah had preached in chapter 27 to the nations. This announcement here by Hananiah was totally the opposite of what Jeremiah had preached. And what, and what Hananiah has said encouraged Judah and the surrounding nations to continue to rebel against Babylon. God said to submit to what was going to happen in chapter 27. But Jeremiah knows he didn't resist Hananiah. He didn't argue with him when, when Hananiah removed the yoke from his neck. He didn't reply to, to Hananiah's false message. We read in verse 11 that Jeremiah went his way. Jeremiah just kind of quickly walked away. The priests and the people were watching this dramatic scene. Now, they may have thought that because Jeremiah didn't say anything or do anything, that he was agreeing with what Hananiah had just prophesied. But here's the thing. Something to learn from Jeremiah. Jeremiah was only waiting for the right message from the Lord and the right time to deliver it to Hananiah. Jeremiah wouldn't quarrel with somebody who was, that was very, possibly very angry at him. And also being in the midst of the priests and the people who were violently dead set against him. Proverbs 19.11, Solomon says, Sensible people control their temper. They earn respect by overlooking wrongs. And sometimes it might be wiser to retreat than to argue. So Jeremiah didn't say or do anything because he was waiting to hear from the Lord. And you know what? It's so important because, you know, what we say, it will have, it, it will have content, it will have meaning, and it will serve its purpose. Or we can do just the opposite. We can offend somebody or destroy somebody. So... The reason why Jeremiah went his way, it wasn't because he didn't have anything to say, but because he was willing to wait until God was pleased and ready to give him a direct and immediate answer, which he hadn't received yet. He expected that God would send a special, a special message to him for Hananiah. So he wasn't going to say or do anything until he received that special message from the Lord. We see a couple of great examples of that in the Old Testament. In Numbers 15, verses 32 through 35, it says, Now while the children of Israel were in the wilderness, they found a man gathering sticks on the Sabbath day. And then we know that was a no-no in, in that time to do any kind of work on the Sabbath day. So the children of Israel, they find this man gathering sticks on the Sabbath day. And those who found him gathering sticks, they got him and they took him to Moses and Aaron and to all the congregation. They put him under guard, notice, because it had not been explained what should be done to him. Then the Lord said to Moses, the man must surely be put to death. Notice what they, they put him under guard. They put him like in quarantine or they put him in a holding place and they waited to find out what should be done to him. You know, they could have just said, hey, this guy's gathering sticks. He's, he's to be killed. They could have just started stoning him to death. But they took him to Moses. And Moses waited upon the Lord, and then it says, The Lord said to Moses, The man must surely be put to death. In Numbers 9, verses 4 through 8, we see another incident. 
It says, Moses told the people to celebrate the Passover in the wilderness of Sinai as twilight fell on the 14th day of the month. And they celebrated the festival there, just as the Lord had commanded Moses. But some of the men had been ceremonially defiled by touching a dead body. That would make them unclean. So they could not celebrate the Passover that that day. They came to Moses and Aaron and at that day and they said, hey, we have become ceremonially unclean by touching a dead body. But why should we be prevented from presenting the Lord's offering at the proper time with the rest of the Israelites? Moses answered, wait here until I have received instructions from, for you from the Lord. So again, both instances, we see they didn't do anything until they got, well, Moses didn't do anything until he got an answer from the Lord. It's the leader's responsibility. It's, again, it's a good practice for everybody to gather all the facts before making a decision, before saying something. Because as Proverbs 18, 19 says, a brother offended is harder to win than a, city, than a strong city. In other words, it, sometimes you can offend somebody and it is super hard to win them back. We may turn them away from the Lord forever. We may cause them to just doubt the church, Christianity, Christians. We have to be careful when we open our mouths in the name of the Lord. And we see that great example by Moses in these examples here. Verses 12 through 17. Now the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. Notice, now the word came to Jeremiah. A little while he said that he walked away. But now the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. After Hananiah, the prophet had broken the yoke from the neck of the prophet Jeremiah, saying, Jeremiah, go and tell Hananiah, saying, thus says the Lord, you have broken the yokes of wood, but you have made in their places yokes of iron. In other words, what he had done, he had made things worse. You broke the the yoke of wood, but now there's going to be a yoke of iron. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, I have put a yoke of iron on the neck of all of these nations that they may serve Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, who he had just said, oh, they're not going to be serving uh, king, uh, the king of Babylon anymore. And they shall serve him. I have given him the beasts of the field also. Then the prophet Jeremiah said to Hananiah, the prophet, hear now, Hananiah, the Lord has not sent you. And I love this. He flat out told him, the Lord did not send you. And it shows us that sometimes, you know what? We need to be straightforward when we talk to people. You know they're wrong. You know what the Bible says. And when you're talking, you know, a lot of time we, we him and, well, you know, well, you know, we, you know, and we him and we hum and said, look, you're wrong. You're not being mean. You're not being, dis- you're, you're being, you're being what you're doing, what the Bible says. Jeremiah said, Hananiah, God didn't send you. And again, many times, you know, and we see that several times through scriptures of the, of the apostles and Jesus being straightforward and, and telling the truth. And, and when you have the word of God and you have the truth, you can stand confident in what you're saying. You want them to know the truth. You don't want them going away. You know, they, they may choose to, to not believe what you say. That's fine. But you've told them what they needed to hear and not let them know that, well, you know, you know, that's your opinion. This is what we believe. And, you know, that's not it. No, they need to know what God's word says. So, again, it says the prophet uh, said to Hananiah the prophet, Hear now, Hananiah, the Lord has not sent you, but you make this people trust in a lie. 
Therefore, thus says the Lord, Behold, I will cast you from the face of the earth. This year you shall die because you have taught rebellion against the Lord. So Hananiah the prophet died the same year in the seventh month. So after an unspecified amount of time, we read that now the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. Now God spoke to Jeremiah as to what to say to Hananiah. So Jeremiah was now instructed by the Lord, go back to Hananiah with this new interpretation of the yoke illustration. Because Hananiah had broken the original yokes of wood, God would replace them with yokes of iron that couldn't be broken. So the message to Hananiah was to the nation and to himself, it was personal. As far as the nation was concerned, because they would follow his deceiving counsel, an iron yoke would replace the wooden yoke. The nations would not escape God's judgment as Hananiah said they would. But Nebuchadnezzar would enslave them. And that's always the case when we reject the light yoke of God's will. We end up wearing a heavier yoke of our own making. That's why Jesus said, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. Matthew eleven thirty, The devil complains that God's yoke is heavy. It's hard. The load is too heavy. It's too much for me. And many Christians agree. And they refuse to serve. But the devil never tells you about the terrible yoke of sin, that it's a much heavier and trying load and labor than God's yoke. Now, to take a yoke in that day meant to become a disciple. When we submit to Christ, we are yoked to him. We are connected with him. We are, you know, we're one uh, in in each other. The word easy means well-fitting. Jesus said, my yoke is easy. It's well-fitting. Jesus has the right yoke that's made especially for our lives and our needs. You see, it's, it's a yoke that Jesus has made for us. It's tailor-made for each one of us. It fits perfectly. And the burden of doing his will, it's not a heavy one. 1 John 5, 3, John said, His commandments are not burdensome. So the personal message was that the false prophet Hananiah would die before the year was up. Two, month, two months later, he did In verse 1, it mentions the fifth month. And in verse 17, it mentions the seventh month. So two months later, he did die. But even this obvious incident, what happened to Hannah, it didn't wake up the hearts of the people because they were determined, they were set on doing evil. So Hananiah died just like God said he would. Hebrews 10, 31 says, because you have, and it was because Hananiah taught rebellion against the Lord. Hebrews 10, 31 says, it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. You would have thought that what had happened to, to, to Hananiah, it, it, it would have it would waked you know, wake the people up. And they say, hey, look, Jeremiah is the one who's calling the shots. You think that would have been on their mind. Jeremiah is the one who's giving us God's word. Jeremiah is the prophet that God is speaking through. But they weren't convinced. They went on in their rebellion against the word of God. You see, Judah listened to the wrong, cho- the wrong voices, like many people are doing today, rejecting God's word and just listening to the voices of the nation, the, nation, the, the voices of the people. 
So not being convinced, they went on in their rebellion against the word of God. If the people's hearts hadn't been so extremely hardened by the deceitfulness of sin, hey, it would have kept them from being hardened even more by the deceitfulness of their, of, of their prophets. So in closing, that's why Solomon warned us in Proverbs 4, 23 through 27, to guard your heart above all else. Why? Because the heart determines the course of your life. He said, avoid all perverse talk. He said, stay away from corrupt speech. He said, look straight ahead. Keep your eyes fixed. Fix your eyes on what lies before you. And he says, mark out a straight path for your feet. Stay on that safe path. Don't get sidetracked. Keep your feet from following evil. And when a heart is being deceived, the heart becomes hardened. And as a result, it's unable to receive godly counsel. And that's why Solomon said, guard your heart with all diligence. Father, we thank you once again for your word. Father, help us to learn from these lessons, God. Father, that your word cannot be contradicted and considered to be right, Father. That's why we must know your word, Father, from Genesis to Revelation. To know the content, to know your heart, to know the subject of the matter, Father. To wait upon you for the the message that you have for us, God. And let us just wait upon you in all wisdom and for all discernment, God, to know the things of God. And Father, we just give you honor and glory. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your son. We thank you for Jesus Christ who came and and submitted to your will, Father, to do what was best for us, God, that we might be forgiven of our sins and that we might have eternal life, God. And we thank you for that. And Again, may we just look forward to celebrating that day, Father, uh, this weekend, Lord. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, well, uh, Saturday evening, Christmas Eve, 6 o'clock. Hope to see you here. And the message is born for you. Born for you. And it's from Isaiah 9, 6. And you know, as Christians and reading the Bible, you know, we, we hear... We know these verses, and, and again, these are the verses that regard the birth of Christ. But again, there's such depth in these verses. So when you hear the when you hear the mention, oh man, we heard that so many times. It's important that we understand there is. You've seen before how you can you can do a whole study on one verse. The Bible is so rich and so deep, and so there's some really neat things. More neat things in this passage. And again, it's, you know, joy is what it was born for you. And so again, we're going to look at the joy that was born on that day in the person of Jesus Christ. God bless you guys.